So if you have a Bible or if you have uh, the scriptures that you can uh, turn to, I encourage you to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 22, as I read our text for this morning. We are continuing, as you know, a series through 1 Peter. And this whole series is titled Thriving in the Times, Really Living, Living with This Eternal Hope. The way we thrive in modern times is living with a biblical eternal hope. You hold on to that hope and you can thrive through the times. So we're learning how to live with that hope. And this morning, the passage is here in verse 13. Therefore, Peter says, after he's already told us that we are to be born again to this living hope, even though we may go through suffering, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There is Peter's big point. Be holy. Be holy. Peter goes on in verse 17 to say, if you address as father the one who impartially judge according to each one's work to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but, you, but, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown because of the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, it says. But he has appeared in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. Now, what is Peter saying? Peter is essentially saying one thing to us who have experienced the born-again experience. We talked about this last week. Not living a topped-off life of I just need a little bit more of God, I need a little bit of Christ, and a lot of myself and my own effort. See, a lot of us have approached the Christian life from, from the perspective that we start not at zero, but we start somewhere between zero and 100% full. And we have something to offer, and we bring that to God, and we say, well, here's where I'm starting. Now I need a little bit of you. And to be born again is to start literally all over from the bottom. I need you. I'm broken. I have nothing to offer in this transaction except for my willingness to be totally and completely changed by you. That's being born again. Now, Peter is saying, once we have been born again, we've, we, we've been given a living hope. Here's how you live out that living hope. Be holy. And here's the question of the day. How in the world do we do that? One point. This is the easiest message in the world to give and the hardest message in the world to give. The easiest because I simply have one point. Be holy. Just, just, just be holy. God's holy. 
Peter says, because God's holy, you should be holy. Just be like God. And the second way, though, it's really difficult because how in the world do we even match up? You and I both know there's not a chance in the world from, a, from our understanding of what holiness is that we can do it. We can't do it unless we understand fully what Peter means by being holy. And so here we go. Remember the TV series in 1966 for some of you? Uh, the Mission Impossible series that actually became movies. And the idea was there was an elite arm of the government, secret forces, and they were called the Impossible Mission Force. This is what Peter's saying to us. This, in one sense, is an impossible mission. And yet, the show, in the show, what happened? They were successful. They, they were they made it they made what was impossible possible by choosing the mission remember the statement at the very beginning of each one of the shows it says mr phelps he would receive this by tape your mission should you choose to accept it and then this this message will self destruct in 5 seconds right remember that and so he hears the the impossible mission and he chooses to accept the possible impossible mission and makes it possible by stepping out and doing something different, by risking it all. And that's what I want to describe this morning. I believe what Peter is saying is literally, this is an impossible mission, but it is possible. It's the impossibility possibility of holiness. That may sound really, really strange, but there's three things that you need to know about it. Number one is there's a preparation. Number two, number two, we've got to realign our desires. And number three, we've got to make a decision. So here we go. That's what I'm going to look at this morning. The first one is preparation. Peter begins. Here's how you prepare yourself for whatever it means to be holy. We're going to define it in a second. You, what you do is you gird up your minds. You become sober in spirit. Do you see that in verse 13? You fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You fix your hope. You gird up your minds. You become sober in spirit. These are all things that we do to prepare ourselves. The, the word gird up your minds literally comes from the idea that when someone was to go to work and, and, and they, they were wearing a robe, they would actually take the robe and tuck it into their belt so that they could maneuver, so that they could get around. Or they needed to run, or they needed to do something strenuous. It was a call to action, and the way we are to be called into action is to gird up our minds. Our minds wander like crazy. They worry about a lot of things. They go in a lot of different directions. And what Peter is saying is a mind that is girded up is a mind that is focused, ready to move, ready to work, ready to apply whatever it takes to this idea of holiness. And that's, start, that's the start. That's just the start. So it's this idea of a mind that is set and ready and prepared. Where's your mind going? Where does your mind want? How does your mind want? Do you, there was a movie we just recently saw. We had movie night um, uh, a couple weekends ago up in Lake Arrowhead with some friends that live up there. And often we get together and it's really fun. And let's call it movie night. And 
So they chose the movie, and it was, um, it was Gran Turismo. And it was a fantastic film. And I remember in this film, the thing that got me was um, the whole story is about these gamers that are online every day racing these cars that are very realistic. And Nissan marketing department decided, let's have a contest to see who are the best gamers at, these, at this car racing, and we're going to actually choose the best one and put them in an actual car. Like, seriously, what a joke. It's so different, a joystick versus a steering wheel and a clutch and everything. But the game was so, is so well-designed, and they had so many hundreds of hours on these courses that they chose the top uh, winners of this contest, and they put them through a training school for a couple weeks and chose one. And that person was able now to get in an actual car and begin racing. They had to get their license, but they began racing. Amazing idea. Amazing. True story. The guy that actually won it, it's very interesting. The way he prepared for a race is he put headphones on and listened to Yanni. Have you ever listened to Yanni? It's beautiful. I used to listen to Yanni a lot, and then I kind of forgot that he, he was around. And I started playing Yanni again. It's amazing what happens. It's just, and in the movie, all you hear is Yanni when, you know, you hear what he's hearing. And it's just in the midst of this chaos and these cars running and, and the, 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 uh, all the adrenaline and the, the getting ready for a race, he's sitting in the back listening to Yanni, just preparing his mind, think, just quieting everything down. The writers of the New Testament remind us often, we need to seek, our, seek the things that are above, not the things. Are we seeking God's things? Are we, in Paul, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, we are literally to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought that comes in your mind, grab it. Is it worthy of God and worthy of the things of God or not? And I need to have a filter where I'm throwing those things out. I need to have that kind of a trap over mine. And I tell you what this, this whole music thing is about, whether it's worship music. You know, I'm not suggesting that you go new age, new age, new age with me or on me. Uh, I'm suggesting that what you do is you just calm the noise and you, cl you just cl clean out the clutter and, and you, you focus and you get your mind ready for action because you'll not be able to do it without it. And then Peter goes on to say, number two, is you've got to choose a greater desire. Notice where he goes from here. As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the human former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One. So what he's saying here is we've got to learn how to change our desires. Don't be conformed to the lusts of the world. Epithumia, it's, it means strong desire. That's what it means. If I were to tell you that God said that you could have all the desires in your heart, would you believe me? That there's a verse in the Bible that actually says God wants to give you every desire of your heart. And yet Peter seems to be saying there's these former desires that we need to get rid of and take on a whole new set of desires. But God says you can have all the desires of your heart. In fact, in Psalm 37, verse 4, he actually says that, doesn't he? He says, but we must seek the things of God, and then he will give us our heart's desires. 
If you seek the things of God, preparing your mind, focusing on the things of God, guess what God's promise is? He wants to give you the desires of your heart. In other words, your desires will align with the things of God when you put your mind and set your mind on the things of God. And when you do that, all of a sudden, your desires begin to change because every desire you have comes from God. It's just what we have done is we've warped it. We've changed it. We have said, God, you can't meet those desires. I'm going to go meet them my own way. In fact, we often do that, don't we? And we find holiness impossible because we're constantly coming up against our former desires. But if we seek the things of God, what happens is our desires begin to change and we find that our heart is aligned with God. He begins to meet the desires in the way he knows are best for you. And you think he can't do that. And he can, and he does it every day for those that really seek him. And so there's this, this change now, this desire for a greater good, a greater focus. And then third, we choose holiness. We just choose holiness. And it says, he says, don't be conformed to the former, but like holy ones, be holy yourselves in all behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for God is holy and I want you to be holy as I am holy. Now, how is that possible? If you define holiness as perfection, it's impossible. If you define holiness as a set of new laws to follow, a moral code, it's impossible. But if you redefine holiness as it was intended to mean as simply not just moral behavior, but as the word describes in the Old Testament, to be set apart, to be separate, now we can understand that you and I can do this. Stay with me on this because holiness redefined is being set apart for a different use, separate. And that's what holy means essentially. Yes, we're to be moral. Absolutely, we're to hold to a higher standard of conduct. The New Testament teaches that. But when Peter says for us to be holy, it is entirely possible if we understand it from, from now a totally different new understanding that it's not just simply a mere action. It's not a set of behaviors. It is something completely different. It's very important to understand the context of this. And the context, the Old Testament context where Peter quotes, you shall be holy for I am holy, he's referring to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. And in that verse and in that chapter, there are the, all these dietary laws. So God asked the people of Israel to be separate, to be set apart in all their ways. And in chapter 11, he's looking at the things that they eat. And you're not supposed to eat these. Don't eat these animals. Eat, just eat these, but don't eat those. And in verse 44, it says, literally, be holy and don't eat the swarming things that crawl on the ground. And he's, what he's doing is he's simply saying, I have called you people to be separate, to be different, to be unique. And the way you will be unique is what you eat and what you don't eat. Just one area. 
And that law, which no longer applies today, is now transported into the New Testament with the same idea, but a different application. The same idea is we are to be set apart in all that we do, how we eat, how we conduct our lives, how we are to uh, approach every area of our lives. That's what holiness means in a unique way, set apart. You know, in the temple, the temple, as Bray was describing, was built by a community of people that brought all their resources, and they built this, this sanctuary. And it was a holy place. It was where God dwelt. It had to be a holy place. Everything in it had to be cleansed. And, and everything that was brought into it, all the utensils, everything was cleansed so that it was a holy place set apart for one purpose and one purpose only, the worship of God. So holiness is a life dedicated to complete worship of God. Does that mean I just sing songs all day? No, it's far more than music. Romans 12 verses one and two reminds us that we are to go through a transformation of the mind so that we may prove what is good and, and perfect. But in verse one, it says, literally, I will become a living sacrifice, which is my act of worship. It's a service of worship. Literally, my act of worship is to surrender my life as a living sacrifice, to put myself on an altar and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. So holiness is the desire and the willingness to be used by God for his purposes. That's what holiness. And you and I can choose to do that every single day. That's possible, isn't it? I may be morally imperfect. I may be far from perfection. But I can say, Lord, here's my life. And I want you to use my life. And here's, here's every aspect of my life, and I want to follow now a new law in my life, which is a law of holiness, which is simply saying, Lord, I live for one purpose, and that one purpose is the act by which one gives their life to the Lord for his use, the act of worship, separate from the world in all aspects of your life. It's deciding for yourself that you belong to God. That's what holiness is. I belong to God, and every aspect of my life belongs to God. Remember what Paul says, that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What was he saying? Well, simply what he was saying is that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, your body matters, what you do with your life, what you think about, what you do, what you eat, every aspect. Are we under certain laws? Is this some sense of legalism that we are to do certain things and not other things? No, this is a... Sur a, a surrender. God, what would you have me do? Under the freedom in Christ, God, what would you have me do? It all goes through this huge filter. I hand over my entire life to God. Remember in the temple, it's like the temple. Everything is pure. It's being totally and completely set apart. Uh, I was on staff at Saddleback Church many years ago. And while I was there, it was kind of a, a very exciting time because it was the time in which Rick Warren, the pastor of, of Saddleback Church, um, sat down to actually write The Purpose Driven Life, one of the most well-read books in all of modern history. In fact, 
Um, the book actually, I think, sold over 50 million. Uh, the Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown was like a little more than that, like 70 or 80 million. Um, even um, the the writer uh, Rawlings of, of the Harry Potter series, the seven books, I think it sold like 600 million, but that's all seven books. She's the first author to become a billionaire by writing, by the way. But Rick Warren set out over 20 years ago, now more than that, now 30, to write this book. I, I actually had a conversation with the senior editor and publisher of, of Zonerbin, Zonerbin, because we were doing a writing project with them after he wrote this book, and Stan Gundry told me, Todd, I have been waiting for Rick to hand me that manuscript for 20 years. And I knew it was going to be good. And, and, and it was an amazing experience to be there because I was um, given the privilege of reading the chapters as he began writing them. And so he found a, a secret place uh, behind the worship uh, center and he had an office there and he would 6 a.m. we would go and he'd write and, and then end about 6 p.m. And for nine months he just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then he'd send a bunch of us each chapter and he wanted our feedback. And I was really struck by day one. His very first line of the book is this. Do you know what it is? Purpose in Your Life, one of the most successful book, Christian books ever written. It all starts with God. It's not about you. Isn't that wild? So he came up with this idea that where I got to start is not about you. you. We don't ask the question, what do I want? Because we're not the creator of ourselves, and we wouldn't be able to answer that question. Only God knows. And so the question has to be, God, it all starts with you. It's not about me. It's about you. What do you want? Day six of this book begins, life is a temporary assignment. That every single one of us is an ambassador, a steward, a vessel of honorable use. That's the way we're described in scripture. And we are called on to be good stewards. In purpose number one, there's five purposes. He begins with the very first purpose. And the very first purpose is this. You were planned for God's pleasure. It's not about you. You're on assignment and you were planned for God's pleasure. And what Rick does in purpose one is he redefines worship as something you do with your whole life. It's what you do with your life. Based upon what God desires, because you've come to him and asked him, Lord, how would you want me to live my life? To be holy is to be set apart for worship for God. And every day, we have the opportunity to set our lives apart for holiness. It redefines holiness and makes the impossible possible. Let me just take one example with you. And we're going to have the worship team come, and we're going to lead some worship. We're going to have some worship, and we're going to have some communion together. And I want to I give you just one area. If you work for a boss... You do your best only when your boss is looking. But if you reframe who you're working for, your performance changes. Think about it. 
Paul reminds us in Colossians twice in chapter 3 to work heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto man. Isn't that interesting? Paul tells us we are to do whatever we do. Our work is unto the Lord because God is our boss, because God is the one we're aiming to please. And when you do that, your performance totally changes. That's setting aside your work for the Lord. Maybe you're the boss. Well, maybe you have another boss. Maybe you're an employee. This applies to every single one of us. It reframes. I was talking to a guy after the first service. This is interesting. He owns a very, very big company. You know the company. Huge company, lots of employees. And he said, this is a fascinating concept, Todd, because I have always heard companies say, what do you, what's your number one question? What does the customer want? And you know what? That's the wrong question. The real question is, what can we do that honors the client? Here's what we can do with our resources. It reframes the question in not, what can I do? Because you'll just be so scattered. Well, whatever they want. Well, whatever they want, you can never get it right. But if I approach it, here's what I can do and here's what I can do well with, with our company or with my life. Here's what I can do and I offer that to my customers. Guess what? You're going to hit it 100%. Let me tell you a, a story as we close. When I was in college, I had a man that would disciple me, John Bruce. And when I first met him, he had these little cards and he would hold these cards and he would read through these cards. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm memorizing. I said, what are you memorizing? I was, I'm memorizing the book of Romans. Oh, okay. Sounds good. I'm, I'm still working on Psalm 37 verse 4. And this guy's reading through. He's going to memorize the book. And he inspired me not only to read the book, but also to memorize. And, and I remember in the process of memorizing, I'd walk around with these cards and walk to class. It was a 15, 20-minute walk to a class. And I would have my cards. And, you know, when you're in chapter 5, it's a lot harder to review than when you're in chapter 1. That's a lot of reviewing. And so I'm reading and rereading. And I'm speaking it out. And I'm saying it over and over again. But it's converting my mind. It's changing. It's giving some, my mind something to think about. Here's the point. Romans became very, very significant to me. And ultimately, it really became the, the catalyst for my life that brought about the greatest amount of change. And here's what happened. I was at a little men's group, a house off campus, and we were studying the Bible and we got into Romans and we were reading Romans chapter one, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, calls the apostle of God, set apart for the gospel of God. That's how it begins. And when I heard those voices, it was like a bolt of lightning hit me and I heard through those scriptures, Todd, I've called you to be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And I've called you out to be one who will go like an apostle to do what I'm calling you to do. And I heard that specifically. I remember that moment. I still remember sitting. I remember where I was seated at the table. I remember that conversation. And that began to reframe all the decisions of my life. And there could have been many decisions I made that took me off course. 
And I made a lot of other decisions on the basis of, no, I remember I've been called by God. I'm holy. I've been called to be holy. And, and it's not just for some of us. I just read a chat. I just read an article my daughter gave me about bivocational pastors. That that the new trend is that pastors are bivocational. They have a job in the marketplace, far more effective in mission, and they also have a job and and ministering in a church. And I remember those days when I was in real estate, leaving my mission field to go into the ministry, and that being torn away from that. And 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 so so we're not talking about the difference between. This is only for pastors. This is only for really, really mature believers. This is another level. This is for every single one of us in the room. I want you to hear that. I really want you to hear this. It's for you. You could be bivocational. You could be purely in the marketplace. You could be at home with your kids. You could be a pastor. You could be in ministry somewhere. But it doesn't matter. You've been called to be holy as God is holy, set apart for his purposes. And this morning you can do that. So let's worship the Lord. Let's commit our hearts to being holy for his purposes in all of our lives, in our work, in our family, in our thought life, in our actions, in our heart, in our attitude, in all the decisions that we make. When we, and here's the unique thing, you can be immoral as a person but holy because you've made a commitment and asked the Lord use me. I'm broken I'm imperfect but use me and don't let the evil one ever tell you you can't be used by the Lord. You can be used by the Lord. God wants to use you no matter where you are and you can do that and guess what every time you say yes to the Lord he makes you holy in that moment you're now in a place of being set apart. Thank you, Father. We receive that from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand. You can take communion whenever you feel ready. We're going to worship together to end our service. together. God, I look to you and won't be overwhelmed. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. Just what to do, yeah. Oh, Lord. you always know, God. Sing it again together. God, I look to you. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision. See things like you do, God. I look to you. You're where my help comes from. 
give me ways You know just what to do I will love you Lord my strength I will love you Lord my shield And I will
be the song in our hearts, God, as we look to you. We know that you are the giver of vision, the giver of strength, the giver of good gifts, the giver of life. You sustain us, God. Give us that truth today, God, that we may be holy as you are holy because you are there every step of the way, empowering us, leading us and guiding. So we surrender to your goodness. We surrender to your love. In the valleys, in the mountaintops, God, may your goodness surround us. We love you, Lord. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping, you guys. We'll see you next week. Bless you.